welcome you back. And I want to um, jump in the Word this morning. I believe God has given me something for the times. But uh, I want to also just remind us, you know, the gathering is open in Moravian Falls. And I believe many churches across the nation are opening up. And uh, we want to remind us all, it's not out of defiance, it's out of obedience. You know, we obey the highest authority. And I wanted just to make sure we understand. There may be some people wondering, why are you opening up before some official opening? Well, out of the book of Hebrews, you know the scripture, but I want to point out a few things. And we've read this. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking, and this is the scripture, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, the command is don't forsake the assembling, which means don't forsake the gathering together. But there are at least four reasons mentioned. And this is why we are, we're gathering. First of all, when we come together, we stir up love. You know, um, we remember Bob Jones, the encounter that he had. And most of you know he's buried on our property. But the encounter that he had where he was called up into the heavens was the question, did you learn to love? And that would be a question that all of us would have to answer. When we gather together as the body of Christ, that's where you learn to love. There are lessons, there are tests to your love. Because we're all people. And we sometimes rub up against one another, you know, in, in the wrong way. But we learn to love. And so that's one of the reasons. And that's what the scripture says, why we should come together. And then we stir up the good works and um, there's something about when we're together that we motivate one another toward doing the will of the Father. There's a scripture, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, you know that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. And we know the works have been written, planned out, but it, there's no guarantee we will walk in that which has been planned out. We have to make the choice. And so when we're around one another, we stir up those works and we encourage one another. Then there's, and that's what it is. It's encouraging. It says not forsaking the assembling as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And that's what that scripture means, to encourage. I don't know about you, but in this day and time, there's so much news there's so many opinions, so many things. So we need to be encouraged. We encourage ourselves in the Lord and through the Scripture. But we need one another, too, to speak those words of encouragement. And then the last thing about that Scripture, we're to gather so much more, not less, but so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? Well, this sure looks like we're in that day right now with so many things happening at light speed and, um, and at the day, the day of judgment. I think that speaks of all of that. But we want to just announce we're open. We're open. And it's, it's out of obedience to the Lord. And uh, I believe God's going to do something in this hour that's going to shock us, that we're not coming back to just, you know, do what we've always done. It's a new season it is a new day, and um, nothing will work that we've done in the past. We must have fresh orders every day. So I want to pray and then get in the Word, because we want to go back to the book of Revelation. Last week, 
I, I just began on some things. We had this unbelievable testimony from Amanda Altry. And it was an amazing encounter that she had from the Lord. And we just began to set a foundation about the book of Revelation. So Lord, I pray now in Jesus' name that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is ready to receive. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's a part of this. They're watching. They're part of this. We pray that they would have a one-on-one encounter with your son, a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this incredible time that we're living on the earth. For we've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this, in Jesus' name. Just to remind us of what we spoke of last week, the book of Revelation is like a playbook. It's, it is. It's a playbook for the last days in which we're living. And we need to get our orders from the Lord. It's a book of, uh, that gives us understanding as to how we're to live. The, you know, the sons of Issachar, they were those who had an understanding of the time. It's where we get our marching orders. But it's also that which leads us to be who we've been called to be, which the book was written to, and that is the overcomers. We cannot overcome unless we get the instructions from the playbook. Now, right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the second verse, you know, it begins by, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, and we'll get to that. But the, right off the bat, it says, this is that which John bore witness to, which was the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, and the things that he saw. And it was, an example is what Amanda saw last week, and she shared. John had this incredible vision of the times in which we're living. And then there were a lot of things that we saw just in review. The book of Revelation. We are blessed when we read the book of Revelation. When we hear it preached. When we hear it read. We're a blessed people. Then it is the testimony of Jesus. It is his own testimony of his acts, his ways, and who he is. And we remember that all things will be summed up in Christ Jesus. It will all you know, summed up, be summed up in him. And then, as we already mentioned, it's an unfolding revelation of the Lord Jesus. It's not a horror book. Now, you might, you read some of the things about the locust coming out of the earth, the beast, the mark of the beast, you know, persecution, all these things, you know, what we heard last week, asteroids, all these things. You would, you would, it could be a horror book if, if you left out the fact that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. There are events that are coming, and, and we don't want to leave out, you know, the fact that Jesus will come in the twinkling of the eye, will be caught up. You know, there's that event uh, that we're waiting for. Every eye will see him. But his coming is more than a single event. It is a series of things that are going to happen on the earth that you and I need to be aware of. And we don't want to be left out of it. Guess what? We're not going to be. And then it's things, and we saw this last week, things that must come to pass. They must come to pass. It must happen for his purposes and so that the bride would be prepared. He is coming for a glorious church. He's coming for a bride that has made herself ready. And then there will be grace. We went into great detail. There will be grace that will be given to the saints on the earth. And then we saw that there are times and seasons 
There were some things that are not going to happen. Amanda shared with us how she saw in this encounter she had the four angels that were released upon the earth. And we saw that in the scripture they were released for a year and an hour and a day and a month. There were certain times. And so there are things that are going to happen according to the timing of God. And don't you think the devil's crowd will try to push up, try to push the envelope, make things happen before they are set? Absolutely. That's why we're not going to let it happen. And we pray the will of God. And God's given us authority to tread upon the scorpion, the serpent, and over all the power of the enemy. Now the grace is given to us to overcome. Because he called us in the revelation the overcomers. Being overcomers does not mean that we will not have to face many of these things the Bible, the book talks about. You overcome because you have something to overcome. And we all understand that. There are times and seasons in God's own authority, and we need to understand this. Also, we need in this hour ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I believe there's an opening up of this revelation for this hour. I know me personally, this book is coming alive like it never has before. And I'm just so excited to be, be able to see these things and have some understanding. You can't see anything unless he opens our eyes. We can't hear unless he gives us ears to hear. And remember, we read last week, he has come to, to give sight to the blind and to make those who say they see blind. So we want to be those that humble ourselves and confess, God, we need, we need you to open our eyes. Now, in the book of Revelation, there are two groups of people. This is what it's all going to boil down to. There will be those who will follow and worship the beast. I have been, that scripture over in Revelation 13, it says they worshiped, the whole world worshiped and followed the beast. And I wondered, God, how is that going to happen? Well, through COVID-19, you see one way. The whole world is being affected. And I can see how this could lead to the whole world worshiping and following the beast. Does it mean this is the actual time for that? We don't know. We're not certain of that. But we still want to be alert and awake and be doing the will of the Father. Occupy until he comes. The second group are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And they are those who follow the Lamb. So there are those who follow the beast, and they worship the beast, and there are those who follow the Lamb, they're going to worship the Lamb. Now, the book of Revelation is a book about war. It's a war. I don't know if those of you that are part of uh, this fellowship, you may remember us. It's been probably a couple years ago, but we were you know, speaking about how we discovered. I'd never seen this before, but it was out of the book of Numbers, and it spoke about the, the book of the wars of the Lord. And I wondered, I, I mean, I know I'd read that probably multitudes of times, but it never really stuck out to me. And so we looked it up, and there was a book that was written that journeyed, or actually journaled, the journeys of the children of Israel out of, you know, Egypt through the wilderness, into the promised land. I don't know if it's a book that you can find that's still around, but it was the book of the wars of the Lord. Well, what we're going to face in this hour, the last generation on the earth, 
This is like the last chapter of that book of the wars of the Lord. And we need to understand we've been made for the moment. But the book of Revelation is about wars. Back in chapter 12 and verse 17 says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are the offspring? Well, they're those. It defines those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's us. Then he goes on in chapter 13 and how he stood on the sand of the sea and he saw this beast arising. You know, the dragon gave him his authority. And I saw one of the heads, it says, as if, as if he had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world, there's that scripture, all the world marveled and followed the beast. And then he goes on, and they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beasts, and they worshiped the beasts. And they said, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war? There it is again, war. Obviously, there'll be a great industrial military complex that'll be on the face of the earth. No one will be able to challenge them, at least, you know, militarily. He goes on, and this beast will speak blasphemies, out of his mouth. And then in verse 7, it was granted to him, now this is important, it was granted to him to make war with the saints. So we're involved. This is us. War with the saints. So the saints are going to be on the earth. They're going to be in this great battle. And, now this is the part that some people would rather leave out, and to overcome them. That's what it says. And to overcome them. But the key is, when you read in the context, it's only for a season. Because that's not the end of the story. And though we know it's part of the story. But as you read the end of Revelation, you know that the scripture speaks of how even the beast, one day, the devil, it says, Revelation chapter 20, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, I have a feeling that's probably one of the scriptures the devil doesn't want us to read out loud, but that's his destiny. Now, I want you to go with me. This is what I saw. This week I was going to go in a total different direction. But last night, I was quickened in my spirit and challenged that that was not where I was to go. It would be much easier if God would just lay this out and you could follow the script and he not make any changes. But that's never been, and it's especially in this hour. You can't follow the script. I mean, yes, you know, we, we have the word. We, we know to preach the word. And I'm going to preach the word. I mean, Paul told Timothy, in the perilous times, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when they want to listen and when they don't want to listen. They'll be heaping up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. I'm not calling you to tickle the ears. I'm calling you to speak my word. So we have to do that. But we have to be led by the spirit. And so it's the word and the spirit. It's not a script. It's the script of the last days, and it's those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So Revelation chapter 2, I want to read this. Three things, three points, and I believe that God will speak to us. Then we're going to pray. But beginning 
chapter 2, the angel of the church of Ephesus. And we're not going to go into great you know, detail of the meaning of all of the, the church and what was happening. But there are three things I want us to see. And these things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, your endurance. Now think about how this relates to us in this hour. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now he goes into further explanation later on in that little scripture, in that passage. But is that, does, not, does that not explain where we are today? We're like Job. We see those doing things that are so evil and it grieves us. And we say, God, how can they... First of all, how can they get away with it? That's one thing we're saying in this hour. The treason, the treachery, you know, the murder, the things that are happening. And we wonder and our heart grieves and we hate those things. We hate their deeds. It says, and you've tested those who say they are apostles. I think that speaks about we've seen some who claim to speak for God. But when the rubber met the road, we found out that what they spoke didn't come to pass. So we ask ourselves, did they really speak? Thus saith the Lord. And anyway, I think that's a lot about what it talks about. It goes on and says, and they're not. They're apostles and they're not. And you found them to be liars. I'm just reading the scripture. And you persevered and you've had patience. You've labored. And we have. You know, we, to the best we have. And it says, you've labored for my name and have not grown weary. Now, when I read that, I think, well, God, it's only by your grace because there have been times I would have grown weary and given up had not it been for your grace and been for the saints that have encouraged me personally and the mentors in my life. And, you know, I mean, we can grow weary. The flesh is flesh, all of us. That's why we need one another, need not to forsake the assembly. But the grace of God sees us through, gives us a fire that never goes out. Then he goes on, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now I'll read the rest later, but there are three things. It starts with an R that I saw last night that God wanted me to emphasize today. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And number three, or else I will remove your lampstand. So the first one that he wants us is to remember. And what are you to remember? He said, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen where you've fallen. This is a great time as the church has been sidelined and been on lockdown to remember where we've fallen. You know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says God raises a standard, and we are to be part of that standard. He raises a standard, the church. So just think about maybe where we've fallen from being who we've been called to be in the church in the early days and, uh, you know, the measure of the Scripture. Now, understand, and, and I know you're with me, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. We understand that. But before we can get to that next degree of glory, we have to remember from where we've fallen and repent. And so, 
you know, where have we fallen? Number one, the church is to be the pillar and the ground and the support of the truth. Now that's where we were birthed. That's where the church was birthed over the last many years. You know, the, the world has taught an entire generation that there no longer is any truth. Our truth is relative. And too much of the church has gone along with it and said, well, you know, that may be right. And that was in the days that everyone did what's right in their own eyes. That's not right. It's not what everyone believes is right. The truth is, it's what God said is right. And what God says, it's his word. His word is truth. It's only the truth that sets men free. And it's only the truth that keeps men free. And the role of the church has not been to proclaim whatever societal norm is, but it's to proclaim the truth of God's word. And so God's calling us back to be the pillar and the support of the truth. You know, there's the, the choices we make and there are the consequences. And we have to tell the truth that there are consequences to your actions. If you live in sin, the wages of sin is death. That not, that not only applies to individuals, it applies to nations. The Bible says God will turn into hell all those nations that forget God. And that's why we've got to remember him and bring him back to the memory of our nation. Another thing, we are to be a city set on a hill. The church is to be the example. You know, I've heard so many people say the church is no longer relative. And you can ask this generation. They might agree with that. Most of them would. We're to be the most relative people on the face of the earth. It's not that we have to change in order to attract culture. We have that which is you can't change, which always should attract the culture. And we're to be a city set on a hill. We'll be a light of the world. And I believe there were days at the, early, the foundings of our nation, we were as a city on a hill and the light of the world. We pointed the way. We were the, light, the lighthouses. Not that everybody, when our nation was founded in those days, knew the Lord. That's why they needed the great awakenings to happen. Because the many had fallen away from God and they you know, followed after the ways of the world. They were heathen. And God sent great awakenings. But they, the church, they still were lighthouses. I think about, you know, off the course of, or the coast of North Carolina, we live in the eastern, or the western part, but over in the eastern part, there are those great lighthouses. We've been there, and some of you have been there. We used to live in Mobile, and the lighthouse that's off the Mobile Bay that directs the way. That's the way the church was to be. God's calling us back. Our nation is looking for a way. And he is the way, and we're to point. And then we're the salt of the earth. The salt is the preservative, you know, that, that keeps the society from going berserk. Obviously, we haven't done a great job. The society is going berserk and uh, going their own way. I want to show you over in the book of, of Matthew about what the scripture says about this. And you're familiar with these scriptures. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt, listen to this, loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Or, you know, what good is it if it's lost its saltiness? These are, these are the words of Jesus. It is then, here's what he said. If you lose your saltiness, then you are good for nothing. 
That's what the Lord said. You're good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I ask you, where are we right now as the church and our nation? If I understand, if I read what's happening correctly, and you see the mounting persecution and hatred, it looks like we're ready to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so we need to recapture that calling to be the salt of the earth. He says we're a city, a a light, a city set on a hill. He goes on. That cannot be hidden. You know, some may go into hiding. We're never to go into hiding. We're never to be socially distant. We're to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works. And that's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men. And then another thing that we may remember where we were. There was a time, even though in the beginning days of our nation... Not everybody respected, you know, the clergy. But today there's hardly any respect. But we should be able, whether they respect us or not, from coming from the churches should be that which is thus saith the Lord. When we preach, it's not to be our own opinion. It's to be, we are to speak as of the oracles of God. I've always believed that. I've always believed, God, every time I preach, Lord, I believe you've given me a word. You promised your word would never depart from my mouth, nor your spirit, from my mouth, nor the mouth of my descendants. I always pray that prayer. Every time, every time I preach, I say, God, let me preach as if it's you speaking and not me. Now, does that mean I hit the target every time? Of course not. I'm flesh and blood. But I believe it. But we should all believe it. When we preach, it's thus saith the Lord. When you read God's word, is that not what it is? And I believe God's just calling us to go back. That when you preach, when you stand in the pulpit, you're not delivering your opinion. You're delivering the eternal truths of God's word. Our nation needs to hear thus saith the Lord more than ever, maybe in the, well, it's more than ever in all of history. And then the early church preached the cross with power, Too often today we preached a crossless message that had no power. Then we blamed maybe the devil or we whatever. No, the blame is on us. And then early Christians embraced persecution. Today most people avoid persecution. We'll talk about that in a moment. In fact, Jesus said when you're persecuted, that's when you should rejoice If you even desire to live godly, you're going to suffer suffer persecution. If you're not suffering persecution where you live, and there are those that are rising up and being persecuted in this hour, and uh, it's on the increase, but there are some that want to escape it. The early church didn't escape it. They looked at it as the badge of honor. It's what guaranteed they really were who they said they were. The early believers viewed tribulation as a gateway into the kingdom. Over the last only about a hundred years, there have been those that have risen up. They viewed tribulation as a way of something to escape, thinking they can escape and get the easy route to the kingdom. That's not what Jesus, that's not what the scripture says. We enter the kingdom through much tribulation. In any way, the Lord's teaching us 
about that today. And then they were those who were hated among all. They were the scum of the earth. We want to be popular. Listen, if you follow Jesus, Jesus said if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, going back to that scripture, I, I won't turn there, but just, you know, you can go there later. Remember over in Isaiah 59, and it says the enemy comes in like a flood, and God raises a standard against the enemy. And if you remember that, the first thing is that the Redeemer will come, which tells me the first thing regarding the standard is to proclaim the message of redemption in our generation like you never have proclaimed it before. The Redeemer shall, be, shall come. But also it goes, goes on and talks about how we're to speak the word uh, our word, the spirit coming upon us. And in other words, I believe that that standard is us. It goes on and speaks about how many will turn from their transgression and turn to righteousness, which leads to our second point. So first of all, what is the Lord saying in this hour to the church? Remember. Remember where you've fallen. Secondly, repent. And do the first works. That's the second word. To repent means to change. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Change your direction. We've been going one way. God has brought us to a halt. And it's not just for a time out. It's to get our attention so that we will change, make an about face. And asking. You know, the Bible says... The goodness of the Lord leads to repentance. And I know that, and you know too, that God will cause the things that, are, that the devil means for evil for good. God could cause this virus to be the greatest blessing our nation has ever known. Some of you say, how can that be? If this leads the church to repentance and back in the ways of the Lord, back to the message, back to holiness, back to him, it's all been worth it, my friend. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I remember when the virus first came out, God put something in my heart, and I believe it was God. He said that this was not to lead us down a dead-end street. And I felt like I was to proclaim that. Tell people, this is not intended to lead us down a dead-end street to our demise, but it was to lead us back onto a one-way road. The one way is Jesus Christ. He's the only way, and that's what repentance is. We're to forsake our own way and follow him. And I believe one of the great strategies of the hour, and this has been happening, was to get the church off of the message of repentance. If if the devil could get us off of repentance, then we would go our own way thinking we're the latest thing coming. And some people deserted that. They left off that we had to repent. They said, well, you've already done that. And yet that's not born really good fruit, has it? I want to show you over in uh, Acts chapter 3. There's a, a strategy. There's some certain things that happen. But they happen because of the foundation of repentance. And it's over in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, repent therefore. 
Repent, change your mind, change your direction. Turn around, turn about face. You're going your way, say, God, I'm sorry. I turn, I go your way. It's a gift, the gift of repentance. So that's what he says. Repent, therefore, that's the first thing. Secondly, and be converted. And so in order to be true change, conversion, there had to be repentance. And that's something that we should do initially, but over and over again. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come nigh. And that's the entrance into the kingdom, gives us understanding. So repent, therefore, be converted. Be converted. I tell you, there are some people that had a confession without the conversion. If you have the conversion, you may not have to confess. Your confession will be your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of faith and obedience. Jesus looked at those who had a confession. He said, go bear fruits worthy of repentance. Their lives didn't live up to that they have really repented. So repent, be converted. That your sins, the next thing, that your sins may be blotted out. In other words, there's no forgiveness without repentance. It doesn't exist. I want to be forgiven. God, forgive me. And all of us want to be forgiven. Our sins are only blotted out when we repent of our sin. So there has to be conviction, confession, and then the last thing is conversion. And there's so many today that are mixed up because they don't understand. And we're not setting that clear example You know, I saw the other day, now understand, I'm just sharing this, but it's an example. This was the Pennsylvania head person of the health, Department of Health in the state of Pennsylvania, was giving a press conference, and a reporter called her a him or him or her, I, I don't remember, but anyway, he or she basically said, you've misgendered me. So he had to go back and change and try to get it right to figure out whether the main health official in the state of Pennsylvania was a he or a she. And I, I just thought, God, no wonder our children, the children are mixed up in this hour. We don't even know what gender we are anymore. And yet the church is to set that standard. And that leads us to the next point. You know, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, there's conviction, there's confession, there's conversion. You have to have a true conversion. When you have a true conversion, your lifestyle has changed. You're not living some, you know, mixed up lifestyle. You're a child of God. You then go by what God said about gender. And there's so many things, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But there's only going to be times of refreshing. You know, those of you that know me, I want revival more than I can almost taste my next, next meal. I believe we've been created for this moment. There will be no revival without heartfelt repentance. And it's not those in the world that God's looking for. They're just doing what is natural to them. I guess it's natural to the health official. 
But what is unnatural is for the church to be confused. And repentance makes a way. It's part of the playbook that leads us into a true spiritual awakening. You know, I thought last night, this popped in my mind. Actually, it was early this morning. I love the way God's giving me messages now. This was early this morning. And I thought about, you know, at the preaching of Jonah, the entire city of Nineveh repented. So I looked that up, and it talked about how that Nineveh, it says, will rise up into judgment because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And it says, and much more than Jonah, so much more than Jonah is here. And this is how I felt like the Lord instructed me to look at that. That yes, we've been emphasizing Nineveh's repentance, and we should. That was a glorious thing. Nineveh repented. A nation can repent in a day. But what was amazing, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah, his preaching. Something was behind his preaching. There was some kind of conviction that led a whole city to repentance. How come America has not repented? It's obvious there's something missing from our preaching. And that scripture says there's so much more that we have than Jonah had. We have the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God is calling on us today to cry out for a new level of conviction of the Holy Spirit so that the nation can repent. They're not going to repent because we sound good, but because of the conviction that leads to repentance. And then the next thing about repent, that you may be converted so that your sins may be blotted out, so that the presence of God may come, that he may send that refreshing from the presence of God. It only will come, not because we get back to be in the church in some places, Others, you know, the lockdowns are being extended. You know, somebody sent me a playbook for the coronavirus. Can you believe, just like we have a last day playbook, the book of Revelation, there was a playbook written, where was it, in 2012, eight years ago. Anyway, I'm opening a can of worms. I read the playbook. I listened how they described how they would extend the lockdowns. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. You think that all of a sudden people just thought this up? Hey, let's, let's have a pandemic and let's entrap the whole world and lock down the entire church all over the globe. You think this just happened without some demonic strategy? Absolutely not. And I, listen, I'm not doubting you know that there is a real virus. We know it's gone from a bioweapon, however it got started. I've heard many different explanations about that. Went to a political weapon. Now it's a psychological weapon based on fear. People are doing things based on fear rather than the word of God. And what we've already shared, it's our prayer. That's why God's given us this message, that this would become the greatest backfire in all of history. And I'm not giving up. It can be. It doesn't have to be the mark of the beast. It doesn't have to be the end of the age. If it is, we will know it very soon. 
But what if it's not? What if the devil's crowd is pushing the envelope? They're following the script. Well, God has called us into the kingdom for such a time as this. Psalm 91, we've been praying that, not only to escape the pandemic and, and the plague, but to remember who we are, that we, he's given us authority to tread upon the scorpion and upon the cobra, the young lion, and the serpent we shall tread underfoot. And so we got to return to that. But in particular, going back to Revelation, return to the first works. What are the first works? Well, it begins and he explains in the book of Revelation, the first works. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, return to the first works. In other words, you've left your first love in the verse right before that. So it has to do with love. Who are we to love in this hour? Is this the standard? Number one, we love God, period, above all else. That's why we are meeting again, regardless of what men say, God has said. And so I love God. We love God more than we love anyone else. We are then to love our neighbor. That's those that God puts us in contact with and we run into every day. We're to love, and this is probably the hardest, we love one another. I wonder if, if in the midst of this, God is just trying to again get us to remember we've been called to love one another. Love the brethren, because it's going to take all of us. We've got to rise up as one in this hour. We cannot be divided. I remember in Cuba, when I was there the first time, and someone asked the pastors, why was there so much unity among the pastors in Cuba? And he said, well, when you spent time in jail with one another, you don't care about your petty differences. You're one. And I wonder, now, what will, what will it take to make us one in, in the nation? And then we're to love the world that he died for. Our national anthem, as long as we're on the earth, will be God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's to be our message. And then the, ne- the next thing, and I'm just going to ask you, those of you at home, do you remember who else Jesus said we're to love? Because it especially is relevant for this hour. And that's why, you know, that Pennsylvania health official, this is how we're to look at her, look at the official, him or her, I I don't know. Whatever he was originally, in God's eyes, at birth. But who are we to love? Because she, he, he, they're not our enemy. Basically, we are to love our enemies. That's what the scripture says. If you think I'm confused, what do you think our children? That's why we got to get it right. We got to stand for the truth. But we're to love our enemies. We're going to have a great opportunity, America, to love our enemies, and that's our. You say, well, did Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Yes, Matthew chapter 5. It's in that same text that we read earlier. Love your enemies. Love those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you. Okay, the book of Revelation. Remember, repent, and then he said, or I will remove. That's what I believe the Lord's saying. Remove means to move, to shake the head in derision. It's an act of violence. 
This is not a simple thing. The Lord has called the church in America to the side, into our chambers, not just to give us a sabbatical, but to shake us into our senses, to awaken us into the lateness of the hour, to the urgency of the hour. And I believe all over America, right now churches want to go back to normal. But God is not looking for normal. You know, this is, you know, what is God looking for in this hour? Here's some things I just jotted down. Number one, God wants us to do away with the personality-driven model of church in America. It's not about the person, some personality that's become very popular, you know, that everyone looks up to. You may look up, we are to honor one another and give honor to those whom honors do. There's only one superstar. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the head. We're all part of the body of Christ. As a pastor, I'm only doing the part that God has called me to do. You have to do the part you've been called to do. There are no superstars. There's the body of Christ. And then I believe he wants us to do away with the program-oriented model. I'm not talking about, you know, when you go into church, you get a program. Turn to him, number 672 or whatever. I'm talking about the program that men program it. They program it out. You know, everything is according to the latest model for church growth. God wants to do away with that. And another thing is the politically correct church. You know, they're... We've been changing with the culture. I've heard pastors say, well, I can't preach against that particular sin because the majority, you know, a lot of people want to come to my church that are living that lifestyle and I don't want to condemn them. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the condemned might be saved. The only way you're going to be saved is to confront the sin. You hate the deeds. You love the sinner, but you confront and you define the sin. We're to define the sin. We were, are to be those who separate the holy from the unholy. And then it's not, he wants to do away with those who only want to preach a positive message. Yes, the gospel is the good news, but the wages of sin is death. That's not necessarily good news. You're going to die in your sin, but the gift of God. That's the good news. You have to tell the bad news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's not about our being popular. They crucified the Son of God. You know, that should be our fate. I mean, if you're really preaching the Word of God, they're either going to hate you or you know there'll be some that'll love you because they love the word but there'll be others that'll hate you and our message and we've said this before we should be comforting the afflicted but we should also be afflicting the comfortable no one should come into our churches comfortable in their sin and leave the same way then what kind of preaching is that it's not the preaching of Jonah that he wants us to return to Jesus said remember repent or I will remove. I'm going to remove. And I think he's serious. The lampstand, he goes on, he says, but this one thing I hate, or you have, this is one thing that he said the church had that, that he did, you know, 
acknowledge. He said that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And the Nicolaitans, they were those, they were running with the devil. They were running hand in hand with the beast system of their day. And they demanded allegiance to their God. And there's a that's similarity today. You must conform to the God of this hour, to my image of who we worship. And if you don't, there's a price to pay. We will close your business down. You know, you won't be allowed until you bow to the gods of this hour. That's the spirit we're facing right now. You may not get out of your home till you bow to a vaccine or you bow to the authority, whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? This had to do. And Jesus, they hated that. They hated this pressure to have to conform to the religious system of the day. They wanted to follow God and God alone, and there was a price to pay if they were going to do that. And so it is today. They hated it. Well, Jesus hates those deeds as well. But they had to follow him regardless of the cost. And then he ends. And this is what he says in that message. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church and to him who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, I believe the Lord is going to raise up a new church in this hour. But it's not what we've been, it's what he's called us to be as we follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Well, I want to wrap this up. And I know there's a lot here. And, and we're going to, the best we can, stay in the book of Revelation. But maybe this morning, whenever you're watching, you know, the Holy Spirit drew you to this little video. And um, the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart and right now you acknowledge, you would say, you know, I don't know that if I, if I died right now, I don't know if I know that I know the Jesus that you're talking about. Others would say, man, I've had religion, but I've not lived solely for him. I've fallen away and I've become lukewarm. And I know that God has drawn me to him and I want to repent and I want to come back to him. I want to... I want my first love. That's what he spoke about. I want to be in love with Jesus. Or maybe you want to follow him for the first time. I want to pray first of all for you and then I'm going to pray for the believers and others that have needs. But um, just right now, if you, you're watching, somehow you got a hold of this and the Spirit of God is convicting you. You can't be saved just when you want to. Jesus said, no man can come to the Father except by me, but you can't, come unless, you can't come to me unless the Father draws them. So we want to just pray right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. You pray with me, and I believe this will be. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So just pray, dear God, I believe in you, and I need you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. And cleanse me. I choose to turn from my sin. My own way. And I choose to follow you. And I receive by faith Jesus 
as my Lord and Savior, I confess you with my mouth. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I thank you, Lord, that if I call upon your name, I will be saved. So I receive you by faith. And I thank you for salvation. I come to you. I turn back to you with all my heart. Set me ablaze. Set me on fire. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to to contact us. You can go to our our website. You can email us at at, uh, thegatheringchurchoffice at gmail.com. That's one way to reach us. There are other ways, but just email us and we'll send you some information to help you get started in your faith. You know, thegatheringchurchoffice at gmail.com. But I want to pray also for those of you that, you know, you're believers and you're tempted to grow weary because of all the news. I'm telling you, this is the greatest hour that we've ever known if we will respond to him correctly. And I believe many people are. And so he's preparing us. And all of those prayers that have been prayed that Shirley spoke about earlier, they, they've been kept in heaven. And maybe this is the time the Lord, whether he himself or an angel of the Lord, is coming to tip over the bowl. And there will be answers to those prayers for our day. Others of you right now, you know, you're, you're battling sickness. We're going to pray for miracles, healings, whatever, that God would come through. So, Lord, I pray right now for the power of heaven, the power of the Holy Spirit to be released right there where people are, wherever they're watching at this moment. I pray that that which looks impossible would become possible because of the greatness of our God and a God that can do the impossible. We pray, Father, right now for encouragement, for strength. Lord, we pray that the bowl would be tipped over and the answers would come. And that God, even as in the beginning parts of our nation's history, there was a need for a great spiritual awakening. Lord, there's a greater need in this hour. And we cry out to you now for our nation and the nations of the earth that your glory would be poured out. And there would be a great wind of heaven that would blow again across the face of the earth. That Jesus would be made known and he would receive the reward of his suffering. We thank you for it and we honor you. And we bless the people. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. And uh, join us this coming Wednesday and we'll talk about some other issues regarding the president and our praying for him. But God bless you.